The words to which I should like to call your attention this morning are to be found in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians in the fourth chapter and in verse 14, the 14th verse in the fourth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness wherein they lie in wait to deceive. Now this obviously is part, as you can see, of a, a larger and a bigger statement which uh, we've already been considering. But it's particularly a part of the statement that begins at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ and so on. Now, the setting therefore of this verse is obviously important. We last time a fortnight ago, we're considering verse 13, in which we saw the apostle describes to us the ultimate objective at which the whole work of the ministry of the church is aimed. That is the function of the ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all this work has been appointed by the Lord, and he appoints the men to the offices, to that end that all the members of the body of Christ may come to this perfect men, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we saw that the way to that end is that we all be brought to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge, this full knowledge of the Son of God. Now there he has described the, the objective. That's what we are going to be. That's what we are going to arrive at. And the whole work of the church is to bring us to that end. But he says, and here's the message of this 14th verse, we are not that now. We are not already that. That's what we are going to be. And a good deal has to take place before we arrive at that. Henceforth, it isn't that now, but henceforth, there, you see, is the contrast which leads us to this particular verse that we are looking at together now. The realization is most important, and we must ever have it as our goal. We must realize that that's the thing we are making for. Yes, but uh, if we are ever to get there, we've got to start from where we are. And this is where we see the profound wisdom of this man, the Apostle Paul, as a teacher. 
He doesn't merely state that. No, no, he's got to start with people as they are. He doesn't treat them as they, as if they were what they ought to be. He knows they're not. He looks at them exactly where they are in their present position. As if to say, well now, I've got to take you from here to there. So the place we start is not there, but here. In order that we may see what is necessary before we can ever hope to arrive there. Now, let me say just a word like this in passing to any teachers who may be in this congregation. doesn't matter what you're teaching, whether the scriptures are secular subjects or anything else. That is, of course, the first great principle of all good teaching, that you deal with people as they are and not simply as they ought to be. If we do not bring the truth to people as they are, well, then we are failed as teachers altogether, and we really don't know the first elements of teaching. Now, that's what the apostle does here, henceforth. So, he uh, takes up this point. Uh, where are we now? Well, he, has, he tells us here that there are certain things which we have to realize at once about ourselves. And they're mainly negative things. But they're absolutely essential. If we don't realize these negatives, we'll never arrive at the positives. And there is no doubt at all, as I'm going to try to show, that it is our failure to realize these negatives that accounts for so much of the present state of the Christian church. Indeed, I cannot imagine anything. I know of nothing which gives such a perfect portrayal of the church of today and her problems, such as is given in this verse that we are looking at together this morning, and especially the verse that follows it. Well, now then, what are these negative things that we have to realize about ourselves if we have really grasped this point that we are to arrive there at a perfect mend? and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, the first thing we have to realize is that we all start in the Christian life as children. Seems obvious, doesn't it? And yet this is the thing that we're always forgetting, that we henceforth be no more children, no longer children. We start as children. Now, this, you see, is, of course, one of those foundational truths and principles of the whole Christian faith, which we ignore or forget at our peril. It's a way of reminding us that uh, this uh, Christian life is a new life. It's not a continuation of any other life. It's not an addendum to any other life. It is a new life. The word, you see, children, uh, draws that absolute line of division between the non-Christian and the Christian. There is no gradual gradation from being in the world to being in the church. No, it's a birth. It's an utter, absolute, new beginning. Starting with a birth, it's an entirely new realm that has got nothing to do with that other one. Very well. Here, I say, is the thing we start with a birth, and therefore, we start as children. Now, I needn't keep you with this. Anybody who knows anything about the New Testament will know that this is something that is found in it everywhere. Ye must be born again 
says our Lord himself to Nicodemus. There it is. But you see, it involves at once this whole principle of growth and of development that we start there and from that we are to grow and to develop and to mature. That's the great principle of the Christian life taught right through the New Testament. John, for instance, in his first epistle, you remember, addresses little children, young men, fathers. There it is. Little children, young men, fathers. We've all got to go through those stages. Peter puts it in the same way. He says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Same thing exactly. Indeed, uh, I say there is nothing which is so foundational in the whole of the New Testament teaching as just this very principle that we start as children. Now, isn't this the thing I, I say that we tend to forget? Isn't there a fatal tendency to assume that once we become Christians, we've got everything, we've arrived, that conversion is an end and not a beginning? That somehow or another, having become Christian, well, that really is the end of the story, and we are now complete and we just have to go on spending the rest of our time now in activities, and there is no more to it. And so, you see, we bypass so much of the teaching of these epistles. And we do so at the cost, of course, of the confusion, which, as I say, is perhaps the main characteristic of the life of the Christian church at this present time. This fatal feeling that conversion is the end and the failure to realize that coming into this new realm and life, we come as babes, as beginners. Now, to show you what I mean, you read the pastoral epistles, the epistles to Timothy and Titus, and you will notice there that the apostle has quite a good deal to say about novices, and what novices shouldn't do, and what novices, uh, what novices should not be asked to do, and so on then apply all that to the church as she is today in general. And you'll see how it's entirely ignored. This idea that a man starts as a novice? No, no. The slogan is, give the young converts something to do. Whereas you will read in the epistles, those pastoral epistles, that uh, the first business of the novice is to grow and to learn and to become fit to do things. So, you see, this is something which is forgotten at our very great peril. But let me put it more generally by putting it like this. And we must put it like this. Everybody who becomes a Christian and who enters into this Christian life comes into it as a babe. He starts as a child. Now, it doesn't matter at all how great an intellect the men may have. He may be a great intellect. He may be a great man in a profession or in business or in anything you like. And he may be a man there of exceptional ability and understanding. All right. I say that nevertheless, when he comes into this Christian life, he comes as a babe. He's a spiritual babe. And he's got to be regarded as such and he's got to regard himself as such. Now you will see that this again is something that is so constantly being forgotten. 
It is assumed that if a man is great in some other realm, he starts as being great in this realm, but he isn't. And so often they show that in practice. But hasn't there been a tendency to forget this? And to put people into positions of leadership immediately, simply because of their prominence in some secular or natural realm. Not realizing that here we are concerned with something which is altogether different. You see, the great apostle makes this point so frequently, it's astounding how we can ever forget it. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Not many wise men, not many noble are called. All that doesn't help here. This is spiritual truth, and it's got to be spiritually discerned, so that every one of us starts as a babe, as an infant. We start as children. And I say it is a principle that must never be lost sight of. The test in the realm of the church is not natural ability, it's not natural position or status or power, it is spiritual understanding, it is spiritual apprehension, it is spiritual knowledge of the truth. Very well, there is our first great principle. And I thank God for this. This is the peculiar mark of the Christian church. In the church, all divisions and distinctions are abolished. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, barbarian nor Scythian, bond nor free. But not only that, there is neither great nor small. All these divisions and distinctions, I say, become quite irrelevant. We all enter the same way and we all start as newborn babes. Every single one of us. And we've got to realize that. Then, of course, having started with that, we go on to the second thing, which is this. As the Apostle goes on to show here, we not only must realize that we are children to begin with, but that there are certain peculiar characteristics of children and certain particular and peculiar tendencies in children. Very well, let us take this up. Here is how the Apostle puts it, that we henceforth be no more children. Well, what are children like? Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness wherewith and wherein they lie in wait uh, to deceive. Now this is, I think we can say, uh, one of the most remarkable bits of psychological analysis that you will find anywhere in the scripture or for that matter anywhere else. If you're interested in psychology, and in the psychology of children, well, here it is. Here is a most amazing, profound psychological analysis of children and of the child outlook and mentality, which is true of all of us as we begin in the Christian life. You, you realize that in the epistles uh, there is a great deal of attention paid to this. The apostle has another passage parallel with this in many ways, in the first epistle to the Corinthians and in the third chapter, where again he uh, analyzes this condition uh, from a slightly different aspect and standpoint. It's all equally true, and he does it in other places also. Now, it is, I say, essential to our growth 
that we should realize these things about ourselves because if we don't we'll never learn and we will remain children and it's tragic there is nothing I know of that is more tragic than to see Christian people who remain exactly where they always were they end as children they end where they began they thought they've got everything at the beginning they've never grown they are spiritual children throughout their lives it's a tragedy there's no greater tragedy they don't seem ever to have understood the teaching of all these New Testament epistles, the purpose of which is every one of them to help us to grow. Very well then, what are the characteristics of the child? What are its peculiar tendencies? Well, there are two main tendencies, says the apostles. The first is this, instability. The child is unstable. He uses a most picturesque phrase here, tossed to and fro, which means tossed like waves. Now, it doesn't mean here that we are tossed about by waves so much as that we are like waves themselves, tossed to and fro as waves are constantly in motion and are tossed about. Indeed, we might translate it like this, if you like, pitching about. And there is in the word that the apostle used and he only uses it in this one place. It's the only place it's found in the whole of Scripture. There is a, a sense conveyed of violence. A violent pitching about of waves. James has got the same idea, you remember, in the, the uh, first chapter of his epistle. Now, here is the word, uh, tossed to and fro. You see, it means agitated. There's nothing so characteristic of the sea as that the apostle puts it all in this phrase, doesn't he? That's the whole trouble with the sea and why some of us perhaps don't like it and prefer the mountains. It's restlessness and agitation, that constant movement. There, there, there is, that is the sea, tossed to and fro, waves of the sea, in constant motion with a suspicion of this violence, agitation. That's the child, says the apostle. It's the characteristic of this uh, childlike state. But let's analyze it further, for we must, the apostle means us to do so. What does it remind us of? Well, it reminds us of this, that uh, one of the uh, most prominent characteristics of uh, the child is, of course, as a result of this, fickleness. Fickleness and uh, changeableness. The child is remarkably like the sea, isn't he? How quickly a child can change from smiling to crying. Is there anything more characteristic of a child? You see it on its face at once. There it is. Uh, the child, and it can't help it, of course, it is because it's a child, it's a fickle. And it's changeable. Now, there are many notable instances of this in the scripture. Let me give you just one. I take it from the last chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 28. It's a most perfect illustration of this. The apostle, you remember, on that island of Melita, Malta. <coughs> there he is, and uh, it was rather cold, and they got some sticks together to make a fire so that they might warm themselves. And suddenly out of the fire, a viper lifted up its head and fixed itself onto and bit the hand of the apostle Paul. And the people, these people who were in a childlike condition, they said, this must be a very bad man, this because he's been bitten by this viper, he's going to swell up at any moment and die. 
this violent death. He's evidently a very evil man. Then we are told that when they noticed that he didn't swell up and die, they changed their opinions and said he's a god. And immediately, see, from one right to the other, the changeableness, the fickleness of the child tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea. Oh, I needn't stay with this, need I? But it's very tragic when you see that kind of thing in Christian people. But we all start like that. It's inevitable. The next way, then, of putting it is this, that the other thing, the next thing that characterizes this condition is a lack of self-control. The child lacks self-control. That's why we have to control them. They're the victims of impulses and moods. They know nothing about self-discipline. They're not able to master themselves and to control themselves. They can't control, to use uh, an expression used in the book of Proverbs, they can't control their own spirits. That word in Proverbs says that the man who can control his own spirit is a greater man than a man who can capture and conquer a city. And it's absolutely true. It's a more difficult task. But the child, of course, doesn't control itself. It expresses itself. It wants a thing and wants it at once. It shows its temper, its displeasure. The typical characteristic of childhood is a lack of self-control, an inability to control one's reactions and to control one's responses to the things that happen to us. You'll agree that it's a characteristic of this childish state. Then another one is, and it follows from the previous ones, of course, the child always reacts excessively and violently to things that happen. A child acts as a whole, and it acts with a certain violence always and excessiveness. It's very fond of a thing or it hates the thing. There's nothing in between. It goes from one extreme right to the other. It's all its reactions bring out this element of excess and of violence and of lack of discipline and of control. What a terrible thing the scripture can be when it thus is a kind of mirror before our faces, isn't it? The true adult Christian is not to react violently and excessively. He is to manifest discipline and control. There has to be an element of temperance. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, says this apostle to Timothy, the young man. Discipline, self-control. We mustn't react excessively and violently to things that happen. And then another thing, of course, and it, all this is part and parcel of the whole thing. The child uh, holds its views violently. And it tends to go uh, to violent extremes from one to the other. You, uh, we all are familiar with the dogmatism, the violent dogmatism of a child. It always holds its views, I say, in a very violent manner. And then, of course, this is the thing that makes it so difficult. They're liable to change these views. And whereas they were violent for this, they're now violent for that. It's the same sort of violence always, and it's always from one extreme right over to the other. And you never know when the change 
is going to take place. And there you see the child expressing itself with this violence. I think you'll agree that that is the other characteristic, and that brings me to the last point I'm anxious to mention this morning, which is this, that the result of all this is that the child is in a kind of perpetual state of turmoil and of mental agitation. And transfer all this to the adult who's just become a Christian. Always agitated, always in trouble. And you see them talking together in little groups and expressing it violently. These violent reactions and these violent views. Look at a little crowd of children. There they are, they're terribly troubled. Some little trifle has taken place and they get into a huddle together and they talk and they're violent in their reactions. Agitated in a state of turmoil and you feel the end of the world is going to come and it's only a little tie that's been broken or something like that perhaps but there it is isn't it like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro mental agitation mental agitation is always indicative of being in a childish condition a babe a mere beginning the one who really hasn't uh, matured. Oh, my dear friends, let's examine ourselves. What has all this got to say to us? Are we manifesting these characteristics of the child? This instability, this constant motion, agitation, this tendency to be violent in all these different respects and this lack of discipline and of self-control, especially our inability to control our reactions to the things that happen to us. The child life, in other words, is a life that's lived entirely on the surface. The child has got no reserves to fall back upon. We don't, this is no criticism of the child. It's description, not criticism. It's, it's characteristic of the child. The child can't help it. It's because it is a child. But, you see, When you get that in the Christian, well, I say the first thing is to realize what a terrible thing it is and that we are to get out of that, that we henceforth be no more children. mustn't continue like that. Very well, that's the first thing. But he says another thing about the child. And the second thing about the child is his liability to be misled and to be deceived. That we be no more, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now carried about with every wind. Here it is. It's a better translation would perhaps be this. Carried around in all directions. Every wind of doctrine. The wind comes from this direction, then from that. It seems to be turning round. You see that weather vane turning round. The wind's changing its course. And here's the child turning round with it in every direction, carried round, carried around by every wind of direction, uh, every wind of teaching that blows in all conceivable uh, directions. Now all that's just a very graphic and pictorial way of saying that the child is, of course, always ready to be imposed upon. The characteristic of the child is that it tends to believe everything it's told. The child, because it is a child, is always a ready prey and victim 
to the next imposter that likes to come along. Carried about with every wind that blows. Here, you see, is an expression of that instability which I've been describing. And the apostle is particularly concerned about this. That's why, you see, he spoke as he did to those elders of the church at Ephesus in the way he did as it's recorded in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, which I read at the beginning, one of the most moving and heart-rending passages in the whole of Scripture. Oh, he could see it coming, you see, and it was because of that he was so concerned. He could see how they were liable to be imposed upon because they were still children. It's interesting that he should have said all that to the elders of the church at Ephesus, to whom he wrote later this very epistle that we are now considering together. Well, now then, here's the question. Why, and this is what is vital for us if we are to be delivered out of this state, why is the child thus liable to be imposed upon? What's your psychological analysis of that? Well, here are some of the answers. The child is like this chiefly, firstly, because of its ignorance. It is indeed due to nothing but lack of knowledge. The difficulty about the child is that it hasn't got a standard. And it hasn't a standard because it lacks knowledge. And if you haven't got a standard, you can't test. And if you can't test and because you haven't this knowledge, it means that you're lacking in judgment. When you are confronted by a number of teachings, how do you tell which is right? Well, there's only one answer. It's knowledge alone that enables us to do that. And if we haven't got the knowledge, we simply will not be in a position to test and to sift and to discriminate. And that is the whole tragedy with the child. It isn't the, it isn't the tragedy of, as such, but, but I say it's tragic when you get it in those who remain children, whereas they ought to have become adult. It's inevitable in the child. It hasn't got the knowledge. It can't have it. We have to teach the child for that reason. But ignorance is always the main cause and source of trouble. Ignorance of truth. Ignorance of doctrine. But unfortunately we can't leave it at that. Because alas, it is true to say of the child that not only is he ignorant, but unfortunately he has an innate tendency to dislike being taught. He dislikes discipline. I think you'll agree that this is true. Look back into your own experience. Your own experience of your own past and your experience of children at the present time. It is characteristic of childhood that it doesn't like discipline. And it doesn't like being taught. And especially it doesn't like being taught slowly. The child always wants to get on, doesn't it? Think of a child being given music lessons. He hates, little, he hates having to do those scales. He wants to play the big piece. He wants to go to the end before he started. He dislikes the drudgery. Having to go through it. Or if he's learning arithmetic, he doesn't like learning those tables. And so, no, no, he wants to be doing the problems. Or if he wants to be a painter, he doesn't want to start making blobs or whatever it was. Oh, he wants to paint the picture. He always goes to the end. This idea that you've got to take time and go from... 
It's utterly abhorrent to the child. He dislikes it. It's utterly against the grain. The child... I must be careful. This is all, of course, because of sin, ultimately, but I was on the point of saying that what I'm really describing is more or less the healthy child, the typical reaction. But there it is. That is the fact, and the apostle has it in his mind. A dislike of discipline, a dislike of being taught, always wanting to rush on and to get to the end before he really has mastered the beginning and the elements and the first principles. The impatience of the child of discipline, and of sound teaching. Or, to put it in another way, there is nothing, of course, more characteristic of the child than uh, the way in which uh, he likes uh, novelty, or a change, something new. Typical of childhood, isn't it? doesn't matter what the new thing is, as long as it's new. You see a child, there he is, playing with his toys and so on. Suddenly produce another one and everything's forgotten. He'll throw it out of his hand. Something he may have been very fun. New. New toy. The childish mind and outlook mentality is fond of the change. The novel. The new. You remember we are told of those people at Athens. They spent their time either to tell or to hear some new thing. It's typical of the child mentality. Have you heard this? The latest, the very last, and always after it, whatever it is, how typical it is and how we betray ourselves. Or to put it in another form, the child always likes entertainment and excitement. Cast your minds back to your own childhood. I think you'll all agree that what I'm going to say is absolutely true. It was certainly true of me. The child tends to have a kind of secret antagonism in an odd sort of way, perhaps even to its own parents. If their parents worthy of the name... Because, you see, of the discipline. They're always there. And they're always enforcing these points and these principles. How much nicer is the uncle who only comes to stay for a week occasionally. Who gives us everything we want. Refuses nothing. And when we've been chastised, perhaps by the parent, comes to us and puts his arm round us and says it's all right and gives a sixpence or a sweet or something. Oh, how much better is this uncle than the father or the mother? Ah, oh, it's new, you see, it's a change. I distinctly remember the secret joy which I and other boys of my age used to experience when a certain headmaster under whom I once had to study had his periodical attack of lumbago and couldn't come to school. Marvelous, wonderful, being allowed to go through the lesson on our own, or perhaps with a, a teacher who also was enjoying a little bit of freedom, perhaps. What wonderful days they were. Quite right, my friends, you've all been through it, I can see. But you see, all this is true of us as Christians. 
And I could illustrate it very simply and very easily. I sometimes think that one of the greatest problems and trials that any pastor has to go through is just due to this very thing, to accommodate himself to this fact that this is true of Christian people at the beginning. They rather like a change. Doesn't matter what it is as long as it's different. Change and novelty and newness. And especially if the element of entertainment and excitement comes in. How much more wonderful it is to have an entertainment than to go through the drudgery of a lesson. Fun and games, of course, it's marvelous. Something exciting, out of the ordinary. Something done with a fanfare of trumpets. This is the thing. Keep your eye on the religious periodicals and apply this teaching of the apostle and you'll see something of what I mean. It's the unusual. It's that which has the element of entertainment and excitement which seems to be the thing that is of greatest value. All that is nothing but an indication of the child outlook and mentality. And the apostle, of course, is impressing it and enforcing it on the minds of these Ephesians. Because if they don't realize it and understand it, they will never grow out of it. So that brings me to this last characteristic of this childlike state and condition which leads to this terrible danger, this awful susceptibility to being carried about by every wind of doctrine. The child is, because of all these things, peculiarly susceptible to showmanship. The child likes the showman instinctively. Isn't that true? And the greater the showman, the more the child will like him. The child's got no discrimination, as I say. He's got no means of assessing these matters. The bigger the show, the bigger the deceit, in a sense, the more the child is likely to believe it. Because, you see, not having knowledge and not having a real ability to discriminate and to understand, he tends to be taken in by the spectacular, the big, the gaudy, everything done in this bold and bold way. Showmanship always and invariably appeals to children. And that is why, of course, the child has to be protected. And that is why it is so essential that the child should be disciplined and that the child should be taught. Well, now, I fear we must leave it at that for this morning. But, you see, all this is but the preliminary, as it were, to the thing which the Apostle goes on to say on the basis of that. Why is it so important we should understand this child mentality? Well, he says it's because of this. It's because of these terrible dangers which are surrounding us and which the child is utterly oblivious of because he's a child. What is it? Well, this slight of men, this cunning craftiness wherein they lie in wait to deceive. Well, God willing, we'll go on to consider that next Sunday morning. But there is a sense in which there is no point in going on to that, and we can't go on to that. 
unless we start with ourselves and the realization of the characteristics of the child mentality. You see, the two things are essential. The child has got to realize that he is a child, and he's got to realize that because he's a child, he's in a terribly dangerous position. Because of these other things, the apostle puts them, surely, in the right and the inevitable order. May God forgive us for being so unstable, so fickle, so changeable, so ready to be imposed upon, so ready to react violently. God forgive us that we are so lacking in discipline and in a true understanding which leads to a true concern for God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Church, and the glory of his great and holy name. We've all come into this life as children, born of the Spirit, born from above, born again. Some of us have been in this Christian life for a long time. My dear friend, are you still a child that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine? May God have mercy upon us. Amen. The closing hymn is hymn number 508, 508. Lord of our life and God of our salvation, star of our night and hope of every nation, 508.
and now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. And may grace, mercy and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit abide and continue with us now and evermore. Amen. We do hope that you've been helped by the preaching of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. All of the sermons contained within the MLJ Trust audio library are now available for free download. You may share the sermons or broadcast them. However, because of international copyright, please be advised that we are asking first that these sermons never be offered for sale by a third party. And second, that these sermons will not be edited in any way for length or to use as audio clips. You can find our contact information on our website at mljtrust.org. That's mljtrust.org.